0: Hello, Mississippi and abroad, and welcome to another edition, the holiday edition, the Thanksgiving edition of Justify Your Existence, uh, a Daily Journal podcast. I am Parrish Alford, college sports editor and columnist, not communist. I am joined by our beat writer, Stefan Kreischnick of Mississippi State and Michael Katz of Ole Miss you guys hear them every week, and we're excited. We, it's been a great year, guys. It's gone by fast. It seems like not that long ago that uh, I had to get up early uh, for these uh, Zoom interviews, man, uh, out on the West Coast. Well, for one of y'all, I, I forget who that was. I think it was you, Michael. Uh, I was uh, out in Arizona during the uh, the Zoom interview that we had. And now football season is just, uh, man, it, it's just flown by. Uh, I guess it seems like that for me what's has it flown by for y'all this uh, first season
1: yeah I mean it, it feels like I just moved in um it's crazy as I was leaving va hemingway yesterday I was like I swear I was just walking in here for the first time and now that's last time I'm gonna be in there for a while it's uh it, it, it's crazy how fast that's gone by it really is I'm sure Stefan probably feels the same way though he gets yeah. one more he gets one more at home
2: <laughs> yeah no it, it has been crazy yeah, I know, you know, for me, this was my first time out of college, like on a full time beat. And I was I was thinking about it the other day after that Tennessee State game. I was like, this really flew by because I, I don't think I had, you know, from moving in to fall camp starting to the season starting. Like I never had a moment to like process, you know, everything that was going on and uh, maybe a slower game against Tennessee State kind of let me do that. But it, it's crazy how fast, how fast it's all gone. And, you know, we're only uh, you know, a couple games away from the football season being complete.
0: Well, and, and Michael, you talk about walking out of Vault Hemingway Stadium for the last time. And it's like really the last time. Isn't it? Is it is it after this season that they blow up everything and start over? Hypo-
1: uh, I believe I think that's the plan. I believe it starts, I believe it starts in January is when the, the facelift begins.
0: Yeah. Well, I mentioned to Keith Carter, I tagged him on, on Twitter, man. I think the model for all press box moves as Ole Miss is getting ready to do should be Alabama's. Uh, not Auburn's, which is just kind of like, as, as I've uh, told some people before, it's like the Liberty Bowl press box with clean carpet. You know, there's just nothing nothing good about the Auburn press box. Uh, both of you guys saw it this year. Uh, so, anyway, I'm, I'm hoping that uh, that Keith takes that into consideration. Uh, you know, there's a way. You can do this. You can sell that prime real estate where traditional press boxes, you know, have been. Um. You know, you can sell that real estate, which I know he's trying to do, and you can still provide a a work environment for a uh, working media. Auburn gave up, didn't want to do that, didn't even try, and uh, Alabama was able to find that uh, that middle ground. Maybe, uh, maybe old Miss will as well. Well, look, uh, let's start with Stefan. Tell me, man, uh, you know, you talk about the season going by fast and how everything just kind of flew by, but uh, tell me about uh, – rivalry games in the past. Now, as we, as Egg Bowl week is, is here, um, what have you covered? What have you been a part of? Uh, You know, what's, how do you think that compares to what you might experience uh, Thursday night?
2: Yeah. Well, I think in terms of football, this will definitely be the best rivalry that I've kind of gotten the chance to see in person and, and, you know, between some college teams. Um, you know, with Indiana and Purdue, so much of that rivalry is built on basketball, and hasn't really been much of a rivalry recently with Purdue dominating. Um, but but it has been um, that that's kind of the focus in Indiana's. You know, the state of basketball, and and that's what everyone stresses about most. Though I've covered some good uh, good Indiana Purdue uh, football games, and it, it can be pretty intense, especially you know with, when it's two programs that you know oftentimes that last game is the game that determines who's going to the bowl and who's not. I think there was a two or three year stretch where both teams had five, five wins going into that game. So I, I've seen kind of the Indiana Purdue rivalry um, growing up, you know, near Chicago area, White Sox fan. I got to see the Cubs White Sox rivalry, which is a pretty uh, fun one, you know, in, in the grand scheme of 162 game baseball season, you're kind of looking for um, a couple of series that really stand out and, and get the fans going. And that's definitely, you know, the crosstown rivalry will do that. Um, but from afar, I mean, I've always had great respect for the egg bowl. Um, you know, my, my, my most the most memorable thing in, in my mind from watching the Egg bowl from afar, and I'm sure, um, Parrish, even you, after watching, you know, however many, many Egg bowls you have, you probably agree that um, the Elijah Moore dog peeing celebration is is what stands out. That's kind of what what stands out to me. I know, um, you know, you guys know, I've, I've been close friends with Ben Portnoy for a while, who covered Mississippi State for the Dispatch, um, and and I remember him texting me being like, "If you're not watching Egg bowl, like, you need to see what just happened." I already was watching, and I was like. I cannot believe you are covering this right now because this is the most absurd thing I've ever seen. But Michael and I have talked about it all week. Like we've, we've talked about it all season. We, we have no idea what's going to happen on Thursday, but we know something stupid is going to happen or something crazy is going to happen. And that's what you want for rivalry week. And, it, and it, I think it's cool. Um, you know, I'm sure there's people on both sides that don't like this game being on a Thursday and, and it shortens your week and maybe it takes away a little bit of that preparation, but it, it's really cool that this kind of gets that prime time, thanksgiving slot obviously it'll be competing with with whatever nfl game on is that point I was on at that point but um you know it, it's going to draw some attention and it's cool you know in terms of recruiting and all that um what what this rivalry you know being in prime time means
0: you mentioned uh, the elijah moore urination celebration there I, I was i was down on the sideline on the old miss sideline <laughs> by that point and what i really remember about that is uh well i, I knew the 15 yard penalty was coming i, I knew that uh that uh, Luke Logan was probably not going to make it. I mean, he, he's an outstanding young man, just, you know, struggled, you know, struggled uh, as a kicker at the college level, and he pushed it right, okay? So that that much, I, I kind of thought that, that it might go that way. But what happened immediately uh, after the touchdown, and, uh, man, I'm even forgetting who uh, who scored it right now. might have been, you know, obviously Elijah Moore. Elijah Moore, okay, on a pass. But there was that long pass to Braylon Sanders, that set it up and really helped Ole Miss get down the field uh, with Matt Corral, who did not start the game. You know, it seems like ages ago that Matt Corral was the quote passing quarterback in the running offense. Seems like ages ago, but uh, he helped Ole Miss down the field quickly long pass to Braylon Sanders. Both of those guys will play again Thursday night. Then there's the touchdown and I'm down on that sideline. And I remember, Keith Carter, the old Miss AD, recently named full-time AD at that point. He had been uh, the interim. Immediately, hands in the air, and, and he gives up the two. Like, we need to go for two. We need to go. Like, like, Keith Carter is ready to go for two and win the game. It's a moot point when you have the penalty and you get moved back. But the decision was already made. Matt Luke had already decided he was not going to go for two. He was going to kick the extra point and play for overtime. But I, I thought... That that just that showed a difference in philosophy at that time. I mean, um, you know, Matt uh, was was going to be conservative. Felt like he had the momentum. Uh, Keith Carter was ready to end it right there. He put up that uh, that two looked like like Winston Churchill. You know, the beef <laughs> victory, man. Those two fingers shot up uh, in the air. He was ready to go for two. Uh, Michael, tell me about some rivalry games, man. I'm intrigued when I when we talk about. Uh, your group of five experience in the past. You know, some people uh, in these parts think it's SEC or nothing. You know, it's, it's the big boys or nothing. There is good football that is played at, uh, at other levels. And uh, when I see uh, that you spent time at Boise and, and then uh, at Wyoming, not that I think Wyoming is like the class of group of five as it comes to football, but it, that just interests me because I always go back to that 2004 trip that I took with Ole Miss out there, spent a little time in that area, and, and came to understand and realize, I think, uh, the Colorado State and Wyoming rivalry and, and how close those schools really are. Uh, so, you know, what, what are some things you've seen in the past?
1: So, I, I mean, I, I grew up with SCUCLA, yeah. and uh, I, I got to cover that once as a student reporter. Uh, it was Lane Kiffin's last full season at SC. It was the year they were preseason number one and finished seven and six. And it was the disaster. It, it was it was the end of the disaster season. Um, so that was, it, it was cool for me because I was at the Rose Bowl and I got to cover a game in the Rose Bowl, which was always kind of like a dream of mine. Um, so that, that was kind of my first, uh, you know, big rivalry game covering experience. Then when I got to, Boise, I would say the biggest rivalry that I covered there was against BYU. That's a pretty big rivalry, not, not super fond of one another. And uh, the game I covered was, was in Provo. And uh, there was like a string of like three straight games where BYU won on Hail Marys. I don't remember what year. It was like 2015. I think it was. Um, They had a quarterback. uh, Taysom Hill was hurt and it was a Tanner Mangum was his name. And one of the Hail Marys was the Boise State game. Um, It just, it was just an absolutely bizarre uh, experience to, to be at that one. And then, you know, for Wyoming, you know, Boise State's a pretty big rival. Uh, Like last year, they played in a blizzard, uh, which was, which was certainly an experience for someone
2: from Southern California who
1: now lives in Mississippi. It was kind of a, uh,
2: I do not miss that. Uh, I, I walked then, out today in a, in a sweatshirt and a vest on and everything, and then I realized it was seventy degrees. I was like, "This is not what I'm used to." <laughs> <laughs>
1: and then uh, Wyoming, Colorado State, like you said, is is it's the border war. Um, I I didn't realize how close they are, but it's literally like less than an hour between Fort Collins and Laramie, and I, those schools really hate each other. It's hilarious, and it's it's fun to. To be a part of the first one I covered, it was so cold that like the field was frozen um, and we were all like sliding around and like it was it was really bad. I did not wear thick enough socks on that specific day. And then last year's was probably the weirdest thing ever. It was in an empty stadium uh, because of all the COVID stuff. So covering a huge rivalry game in an empty stadium uh, was is something else a lot of a uh, lot of really cool just a lot of a lot of really cool memories and as as somebody you know like Stefan said like my Egg Bowl memory is of course Elijah Moore I remember where I was I was at a friend's house for Thanksgiving Wyoming was going to play Colorado State out in uh, in uh, Colorado Springs and I was in Denver and we were watching the game and it was on and we all kind of got around the TV and we we're just like wait did, what did, did you just see what happened and we all, we all just huddled around. It was one of the most unbelievable things I think any of us had ever seen. So uh, Stefan and I joke a lot that we're expecting a very normal game. Nothing weird is going to happen. It's going to be just very, very easy to write about.
0: Well, the Elijah Moore thing, really, I mean, there have been so many uh, odd things like that that have happened in this series. Um, there have been, you know, numerous fights. Of course, uh, Matt Corral was a part of one in, uh, in 2019, but, um, but then the, the big one, really, was 1997. Now, these things, y'all need to look up on YouTube, the 1997 Egg Bowl fight, and go back and find the 1983 wind-blown field goal, okay? State's lining up to kick the field goal. I don't know if y'all have heard about this, if uh, people around you have, have mentioned it. Uh, they kick the field goal, they're going to win the game. In uh, and, and the process, they're going to uh, give Ole Miss a losing season and make them not bowl eligible, okay? kick the field goal, it's on line, and it gets right there. And this huge gust of wind just comes, man, and you can see the football doing this, and then then it just falls, and Ole Miss wins, Ole Miss goes to uh, the Independence Bowl. You know, find that on YouTube. It is it is fascinating. So uh, we'll see. Uh, hopefully, uh, for the sake of deadline, uh, we don't have uh, uh, any extra stuff like that uh, Thursday night. Tell me, uh, what what are you guys hearing about uh, about bowl destinations for your teams? Uh, Stefan start us off.
2: Yeah, um, well, I think I think the SEC bowl has a really big, you know, um, role in, in how the bowl games are going to be determined because I think um, you know whatever happens with Alabama in the playoff, um, you know, this game has Sugar Bowl implications for Ole Miss, and you know, if, and and if you kind of go down the line there, it could have you know Citrus Bowl implications for both teams depending on, on where A and M ends up, and um, you know, it, it's it's going to be really interesting to see how. Um, the bowl destinations end up because of how the rankings end up? Because I know right now, you know, Mississippi State, or I'm sorry, uh, Ole Miss and, and Texas A&M are both ahead of Mississippi State in the college football playoff rankings. How does that change if Mississippi State has a win against both those teams? You know, it's it's interesting, you know, where, where does the, the team that finishes second in the SEC West finish in the in rankings? So there's definitely some um, Citrus Bowl and, and Sugar Bowl conversations being had. Um, it, it's looking like the most – you know, safe bet is um, Liberty Bowl or Music City Bowl uh, for Mississippi State. Those would be you know one of those two would be what I guess. Um, there's been some conversation about the Texas Bowl simply because Mississippi State's never been to it before. Um, but I think that we're just you know with with the bowl games getting fans back and everything that happened with the bowl games last year, um, you know, having a team like Mississippi State in Nashville or, or Memphis is definitely appealing uh, to the Liberty Bowl, the Music City Bowl. Those, so those two would be the main ones I would kind of have on the radar. Though I would I would say that. Um, if Mississippi State wins the Egg Bowl, I think something like the Citrus Bowl um, ends up being a real conversation. I don't know if, if a win would be enough um, to boost Mississippi State over Texas A&M, even with that win over Texas A&M, just because of, you know, where the rankings are right now. Um, but if you really want to get ambitious as, as a Mississippi State guy, um, you know, you, you look at Alabama and Georgia, you know, if they were to get into the playoff and, and Ole Miss or Mississippi State having wins against Ole Miss and Texas A&M, that, that Sugar Bowl possibility does still loom and. That's you know of course assuming Texas a wins at LSU.
0: Yeah, Michael. What happens? Let's say Ole Miss does not win the game. Or what happens to a nine and three Ole Miss team? I'm assuming that takes them out of uh, access bowl uh, possibilities.
1: That's that's kind of where I, I I think what would happen though. I do believe a nine and three Ole Miss team is still pretty appetizing for uh, a a bowl committee and all that kind of stuff. But um, I I really think at this point, the only way you guarantee it is going 10 and two uh, in the regular season. It's uh, it's, it's one of those things where it's, it's so close. And I I think everybody who's around the program the fans can all kind of like, they're getting really, really excited, but they've been hurt before. Um, And the egg bowl is where a lot of these dreams can, can kind of end. And uh, you know, I, all the projections, you know, right now is, is assuming Ole Miss wins this game and it's the Sugar Bowl for the most part. Um, Today I saw, it was like Oklahoma state, I believe uh, was their opponent. I've seen Oklahoma in there too. Um, I've seen Peach Bowl. I've seen Fiesta Bowl against Notre Dame. um, But Sugar Bowl really seems to kind of be the, the big one. And, um, but I, 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 do I think a nine and three, you know, Ole Miss team could get a New Year's six bid? Maybe, but um it, it, it's 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 gonna be a it's gonna be a lot harder because the the last couple times they got in, they were three lost teams, correct? Yes, and 14 and 15? I think they were somewhere around three or four.
0: Yeah, yeah, they were three and uh in, in, uh in fourteen for sure. I think maybe uh yeah. In 15, they had lost to Memphis, Arkansas, and Florida. Yeah, and so. Three lost teams both of those years.
1: Yeah, so it's definitely not impossible. But it, so much of it depends on what happens uh, around them. And I think, like, style points matter, too. Like, if they get blown out by Mississippi State, I think that's really going to hurt. But if they lose a heartbreaker, one of those weird ones, um, I, I don't know how much that's going to be held against them. But uh, at, at this point, the one I've been hearing most is Sugar Bowl. But. I so much can change uh, depending on what happens Thursday.
0: Well, I will tell you, I would rank the hospitality rooms as peach bowl, number one, sugar bowl, number two, strong, number two. Okay. <laughs> strong number two with the hospitality room, but uh, number one uh, would be the peach bowl in, in that regard. Um, how healthy are these teams? I, I realize you, you ask the coaches, that's like trying to get the nuclear launch codes. You know, they don't want to talk about it, but uh, what can y'all make out about who played and, and who looked gimpy? Uh, uh, how healthy are the Bulldogs, to find.
2: Yeah, um, th- they had a decent amount of guys uh, sitting out that game against um, uh, against Tennessee State, and I think a lot of that might have just been to play it safe. Uh, Fred Peters has battled some injury this year, and and he did, you know, he, he missed some games, came back for some games, and was out against Tennessee State. I think that might have been a little bit more precautionary. Um, you know, Brandon Ruiz was not available in a Tennessee State game. I think that might have been more about the kicking situation. I don't I wouldn't plan on Brandon Ruiz um playing in, in the egg bowl, uh, regardless of health. Um, you know, Tulu Griffin, we haven't seen in a few weeks. It's kind of unclear what what the situation is with him. Obviously, he's a big piece in the kick return game, along with um, you know, if you can get him the ball on offense. Um, and then Ra Ra Thomas and Christian Ford, um, you know, they both went down in that Auburn game at a wide receiver. Um I feel like there, there's a little bit of concern with the both of them. And, and if they can play, um, you know, Ra-Ra Thomas was a guy that before that game at Auburn was, was really starting to shine, had four touchdowns in three games. Um, yeah. I know Paris, you wrote about that a little bit. The, the one thing for Mississippi state is, is if there's one position group where they can kind of afford a few guys to go down, it feels like it's wide receiver because of the depth that they do have. I mean, the role that Ra-Ra Thomas has played, it's kind of crazy to think, you know, he's just a freshman and, and you see Malik Heath kind of stepping up, um, you know, in the time that Ra-Ra has been out, Um, they they have options at wide receiver if some of those guys uh, were to be out Uh, on defense. It's really just Fred Peters, everything aside from that, um, you know, health wise is is pretty good. Um, You know, Will Rogers had that um, shoulder issue after that Alabama game. That's all kind of, I mean, look at his numbers. I don't think the shoulder has really been a problem uh, for him since that game. So, um, you know, injury wise, it's, it's kind of like Mississippi state would like to have the depth um, with, with some of their players and some, especially a wide receiver, but, Um, In terms of, you know, the big guys being out, there's not too much concern.
0: Michael, uh, we saw Jonathan Mingo. You did. I was driving back from Jackson. Jonathan Mingo back in the game. Don Terrio Drummond back in the game for a second straight week for Ole Miss. Uh, The band's back together. Did they look a little rusty against Vanderbilt? I mean, nothing seemed, you know, just listening. They couldn't get Vanderbilt off the field. It's kind of hard to judge uh, the Ole Miss offense, I thought. But uh, what, what did you think of uh, Mingo and Drummond?
1: Yeah, I think Mingo caught – I think was one pass. Um, I think for – I think it was just more just seeing him on the field was kind of a boost for everybody. Um, you know, obviously, Drummond being back is huge. But just to have that trio, um, But you know, I, you kind of wonder, like, what's the point of playing Mingo against Vanderbilt? But then with the way the game went, they kind of had to. Uh, as it went but i, I think it was good, good to kind of get him back uh into game shape a little bit before the egg bowl but um you know I, I i i've always kind of been of the mindset that i think this team might be a little bit healthier than is being let on um just in terms of um you know maybe and i don't want to say the injury is not as bad but i you know i uh, you know I, I think matt is getting a lot healthier he's he's moving around pretty well he's He's taking off again. He's sliding, which again I think is probably both for weird, weird for both of us to kind of see because he he does not it was not sliding uh, earlier in the season, Uh, but he he's looking uh, he's looking healthy. The receivers are looking good. Um, The defense has has stayed mostly healthy uh, this season. So I think all things considered, uh, I mean obviously Ben Brown. That's you're not getting him back. That's not going to get any easier. Um, but I think all things considered, given how late in the season it is, they're getting guys back rather than losing them now. So it's, um, you know, it's, it it wasn't pretty yesterday. You know, the, the offense just, I think they were a combined one for nine on third and fourth downs. Just, I don't know. It just didn't look quite right. And, um, you know, it, it was it, it was odd, but that's kind of been what the last few weeks have kind of looked like at times. You know, really the last, really since LSU, it, there's been moments where it looked really good, and then some moments where it just kind of disappeared. And and it was kind of the the way it looked yesterday. But um, I I think that if if there, it's going to be put together this week, you know, having all the pieces together um, is probably going to help that. But you know, the question is you know, what has been, what's been the issue? Uh, you know, this offense was averaging 40 points a game for a while. And now they're, you know, they play one of the worst defenses in the country and they barely put up 31.
0: Well, here was what, what I listened to, what I observed as a listener uh, coming back up, you know, I'd been at the soul bowl. That was a lot of fun. Jackson state and Alcorn. Uh, coming back up. Uh, they couldn't get the ball. Couldn't get Vanderbilt off the field. Clearly that was Vanderbilt's, uh, plan, uh, keep that uh, explosive offense on the side. And they did that. And I think because they were on the side, I'm guessing when they came back in, they came back uh, without continuity with, you know, and one bad pass on second down sets up a third and long. And I mean, you know, that kind of thing. they had a three and out quickly in the second half, gave the ball back uh, to Vanderbilt again, couldn't get them off the field. Uh, so it's it's interesting. I can understand Vanderbilt – Putting in a, an option uh, that that you haven't seen, and maybe you have trouble with that for a little while. You've got to be able, <coughs> excuse me, you've got to be able to adjust in the game to that. Uh, Steph, I want to know what you think about state's defense, particularly the run defense. Take Tennessee State out of the equation here, and let's go back. And for six quarters, they kind of vanished. Arkansas over 200 yards on the ground. Auburn was running well on them early. Obviously, they put it together in the second half, everything, offense, defense, special teams in the second half at Auburn. How do you feel about State defensively going into this game?
2: Yeah, it's been surprising, um, that, that shift in their run defense, um, Those those couple games, or I guess maybe those six quarters, um, just because that's that's not, you know, what the Mississippi State defense has been. Where Mississippi State's defense has thrived is making you a one-dimensional team. They forced, you know, someone like NC State, a team that loves to run the ball, um, into into being a pass heavy team. And, and you gotta imagine that's gonna be the goal against a, a an old miss team that runs the ball um like this Ole Miss team does. And and it's gonna be interesting to see. If, it all comes down to the battle up front. I know that's what you know that sounds very coach speak is to say, you know, it's a game, it's a battle of the trenches, it's by, about the guys that come in, you know, first and leave last. That's that's what it comes down to. But uh but 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 that's really it what it is for this Mississippi State run defense is you know, what the guys up front, the Jaden Crumity, Nathan Pickering, um, Randy Charlton, what those guys up front can do. Um, really sets the tone for the rest of the defense because there are holes in the secondary. And once um, you have to draw the secondary in a little bit to help with the run defense, now, now you got some problems. Um, and, and it comes down to the linebackers too. And I think Tyrus Sweet is kind of just becoming the focal point of, of what this uh, Mississippi State defense is. I mean, he's all over the place, whether it's getting sacks or tackles for loss. He, he's clearly um, an athletic freak that's just making plays happen. Um, and, and you got to be, you know, the guys in front of him, Got to do the job to, uh, to set him up and give him opportunities to kind of break through and, and be that last line um, to, to shut down a run game. Uh, they, they couldn't do that, and they had some poor tackling against Arkansas, but I think Arkansas's offensive line just created some holes that other teams haven't been able to, to create against Mississippi State. Um, it, it, it's going to be really important for those guys in the middle up front, the Jaden Crumity's and the, and the Nathan Pickering and the Cam Young's, um, to, to set the tone, because otherwise Mississippi State's in a load of trouble defensively.
0: Hey, let's talk about those trenches from the other direction. Uh, Michael, it seems to me most of the time, I, I know Ole Miss has moved Sam Williams around, but it seems like uh, most of the time they have lined him up on their right defensive side, which would match him against Charles Cross on the left uh, offensive side for Mississippi State. Uh, you think uh, they move Sam Williams around? I'm sure at some point, we're going to see uh, Sam against Charles Cross. What do you think that matchup is going to look like?
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to think when I was on the field yesterday, I, it's like looking in the mirror thing. Uh, but I, I, I did see Sam on, on, on both sides yesterday. And he's, you know, he set the, 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 the single season school sack record. It was, it was two weeks ago and he has not had a sack since. Um, so he's, you know, he's he's having a monster year, but, you know, it's, he's kind of in one of those stretches right now where he's maybe not necessarily getting the numbers. And, and you know, he, he was getting pressure yesterday, but maybe not in the way that you expect the guy who has 10 and a half sacks to kind of be impacting Vanderbilt. I think that was kind of the whole theme yesterday is you expected everybody to go off because it was Vanderbilt and nobody went off, which was, you know, mind boggling for a lot of reasons. But. Uh, I think that matchup with Charles Cross, uh, you know, I think, I think they're going to have to do that. But there's also that part of me that thinks you might want to put him on, you know, the weaker link and let him kind of eat a, a little bit. But, um, you know, Sam is, has had a, a, a monster year, not just as a pass rusher, but he's, he's, he's set the edge pretty well. He's, he's pretty stout, um, you know, against the run. He is a, a, a pretty big dude uh, these days. Uh, but that matchup with Charles Cross is, is going to be really interesting um, because you've got, you know, Cross is the, the, possibly a first-round pick, and Sam Williams is going to test like a first-round pick. He's he's going to run a 4-5 or, or something like that. So you've got potentially, you know, two first-round talents. I, I think one of those guys that you see from the combine that the projections just go go up. Yeah, no, he's he's going to be one of those guys who looks he, – he's going to be a combine superstar for sure. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think it's, 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 it's a big game for, for both of those guys, and that's not something that you usually focus on with look, looking at, at the offensive line, but I think that might be the best matchup of the night. Yeah. I think
2: that's that's interesting that uh, one thing you said there about moving him on the other side, I mean, the, the recipe is there. If Ole Miss goes back and watches that Alabama film, I mean, they took Will Anderson and just put him on Scott Lashley at right tackle, and he had four sacks of the, of the seven Alabama sacks, and, and it's no surprise, I mean, listen, I, I know there's a lot of pride and, you know, the, the first round guy wanted to face the first round guy, but Hey, sometimes if you're, if your advantage is just toss him on the other side and let him take advantage of a weaker link, that's, that's what you got to do. And, and that's what I'm kind of looking to see, um, what, what Ole Miss does, um, in that aspect, because, you know, if you, you want to get away from Charles Cross as much as possible, I mean, there's a reason he's, he's projected where he is. Um, and, and you take out your pride a little bit and you say, you know what, like, go on, go to go on the right tackles, Kyle Ashley and, uh, and make his day, um, You know, a horrible one, which is what Alabama did. I I don't think, you know, Sam is is quite as good as uh, Will Anderson. And I think Will Anderson is a likely, you know, top three pick in the NFL. So that's not saying much. Um, But but the formula is there. The the film is there to see um, how you can use him um, despite, you know, Charles Cross being lined up.
0: Yeah. Do do you think uh, Alabama may have had uh, an evaluation laying around on Scott Lashley? You think they might've had a (laughs) a, a preformed opinion on, on that matchup uh, before the game? Yeah. Um,
2: I think Nick Saban looked back and said, you know what, there's a reason we benched Scott Lashley throughout his time at Alabama. Maybe we should attack him. But Parrish, I want I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on this because it's been talked about a little bit um, with some of the media guys here at at MSU. Um, You know, I think Sam and and Charles going at it as one example, but, Does it feel like this is one of those egg bowls for first time in a while where there's genuinely just a lot of potential NFL talent on both sides?
0: Well, I think there, I think there is. And, and certainly, uh, you know, it's, it's not just look state and Ole Miss, they have guys drafted, you know, most years you're going to have somebody drafted. Um, but it's not every year that you have guys who are rated as highly as Matt Corral, as Charles Cross, as some guys like this, uh, just uh, you know, there's a lot of talent on the field. I wanted to ask you about Martin Emerson. Has he had the kind of year that uh, that his uh, August uh, projections uh, would indicate? It seems like teams uh, haven't been uh, so bothered uh, in throwing at him this year.
2: Right. It's so hard to evaluate his season just because of you don't hear his name come up a lot. Yeah. Um, he he had he's the one that had the the questionable holding call on that last you know Arkansas game winning drive. And he had, a, he had a pass interference late um, in that game against Tennessee State. And those have kind of been like the two plays that I even remember Martin Emerson being part of because they teams just don't throw his way. I mean, he's not getting interceptions. He's not getting past breakups. And it's because teams just aren't looking his way. And, and you know, you can look at, you know, all the grades and stuff on, on pro football focus. And they're, they'll, they're good for him because, um, you know, those can kind of break down, you know, looking past the, the past breakups and the interceptions on what he's doing. He, he has, I think, lived up to a lot of the hype. Um, you know, there were questions of, of whether he was, you know, some draft boards had him as a first round pick. A lot has him at, at, a, at a second round pick. I think he leans more in that second round pick territory, um, you know, just, just in terms of the, the size and stuff like that. I don't think he's quite um, a first round pick. And Obviously a lot of the combine numbers will, will dictate that as well. Um, but, but in terms of, you know, a, a player that's been really quiet, um, that, that's usually good. I mean, I kind of think back to Richard Sherman after he had that big play with Crabtree and, and, you know, he went on his rant with Aaron Andrews. Um, After that, teams didn't really look his way. And you stopped hearing those rants because his name just wasn't coming up a a whole lot. And um, I think you're kind of seeing that uh, with Martin Emerson right now. And, and, you know, it seems like we talk about Emmanuel Forbes a lot because he's the one that's being forced to get those interceptions and those pass breakups because teams are forced to go his way. And he's been doing
0: it. He's he's played well. Hey, all right, guys, uh, and, and Steph, I want to start with you because I, I still think that Will Rogers is the underdog in this conversation, but uh, who has the best quarterback uh, in this game? Make, make a case, Steph, uh, for Will Rogers.
2: Well, I think in terms of 10 years from now when they're both out of college, I think Macrell will be having the better um, NFL career um, because I don't know how much of an NFL career there is for Will Rogers. But I think well, the case I will make for Will Rogers is that his numbers, um, you know, people downplay them because he's got, you know, 200 more passing attempts than the next, next highest guy, in, in Bryce Young in, in the SEC. Um, you know, I, I don't think he's a system guy. I, I think the system um, fits him because he's a good passer, an accurate passer. Um, you know, doesn't take those shots downfield that maybe a corral does. Um, but, but he utilizes that the short game in a way that corral probably use, utilizes the running. So I think there's, there's similarities and differences to, to the way those offenses work. Um, but I think, you know, saying that just because he throws a lot, he has these numbers that I don't think is necessarily fair. I mean, he still has a high completion percentage. He's still building up those yards. He's not throwing interceptions, which I think is one of the more fascinating things. I mean, you throw it that much, you would think he would have a few more interceptions than he does. Um, you know, do, do I think he's more talented than Matt Corral? No, I don't think so. Um, but I will say that, um, I think he's had a really good season to where the competition between the two of them of who's the, the best player in Mississippi, um, is a valid conversation to have. And I know, you know, what's, what's tough with Corral is I know a lot of people will say, well, you know, he's been injured and, and, you know, that kind of skews everything. Well, you know, it's hard to, you can't take away something from Will Rogers just because the other guy's been hurt, you know, just cause you know, it's well, not Will Rogers' fault that he's been healthy. Um, so I, it's hard. It's really hard to say which one of them has been better this year because I think they've both been so good. Um and I think, like you said, I think Will Rogers has kind of embraced that underdog mentality and he knows that, you know, Corral is going to be the one getting a lot of the attention um going into this game. But there's been a lot of conversation about Will Rogers, you know, especially since um that Auburn game and, and the numbers he's put up. I think people are kind of starting to notice the way he's grown. Um I, I think Will or I'm sorry, I think Matt has been the better quarterback this year and has been the better overall player this year. Um, but, but I think it's a really close um, 1A to say that Will Rogers is the next guy up there.
0: Well, I'll tell you what, um, I think the, the system quarterback argument, uh, I think Will Rogers would be successful in other systems. Not all systems, but in other systems.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, I
0: think he's a really good fit in this system. Look, uh, there are some numbers. There are some stats where I look at that and say, ah, oh, he throws it all the time. Touchdown passes applies to that. But so do the interceptions, as you point out. But no matter how many times you throw it, the completion percentage is what the completion percentage is, and at seventy-five, almost seventy-six percent. I don't know what it, how it changed after yesterday. Probably got better. Um, that's that's pretty stout to complete it that many times. You know, as Rick Stansberry once said, "It's hard to do that against air." You know, <laughs> the, the former Mississippi State basketball coach. I I know you're studying your history there, Steph. That's that's who that is. after some guy, uh, uh, from Vanderbilt, I believe went eight for 10 against him from three point range in the sec tournament. It's hard to do that against air. Uh, but anyway, I think he's great in that system. I think he's extremely accurate. And that's why every one of those short passes is like a handoff and gets those very talented running backs involved and gets them in space and gets them ahead of steam. They're good players. They impact games and they do that because they have a quarterback that gets them the ball. Now talk to me, Michael, about, uh, Uh, Matt Corral, and what have you seen?
1: It's crazy that this is a conversation because, you know, like a few months ago, who would have thought that this would have been like a serious conversation, um, just kind of given where things were. But if you ask me who is playing better right now, it's Will Rogers. Um, And that's not because of anything Matt's done, just Will Rogers is playing really, really well. Um, and, And Matt has kind of, you know, I think everybody was expecting because of, you know, the gaudy numbers that he put up last year that he was just going to repeat that again. And, but I think part of it is like, they're playing a little bit differently because they're winning games. And they don't have to be doing a lot of the things that they did last year. That is forcing Matt to, you know, make those sorts of throws. Um, I, I, I've said this a few times. I, I, you know, I don't know how the Heisman thing is going to go in terms of who's going to be a finalist and all that stuff, but I I really do think Matt Corral is the most important player to his team in college football. And you know, the numbers are great. He's got I think it's 19 touchdowns and three picks now. He's got 10 rushing touchdowns, 500 yards. All that stuff is great. Um, but I think it's the way that he just sort of is like he's the he he or he's the he orchestrates that offense. Without him, that offense does not work. Um, it just it 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 just you know, I think Lugolmeyer and and Kincaid Dent might be end up being really nice players, but you throw them in there and that offense does not look anything like it does. And and Lane has kind of said as much just how important, you know, Matt is to just getting everything right and and being able to do all the things they do. And, you know, we saw when Matt was a little bit uh, less mobile because of the ankle, the running game for them wasn't working as well because the running game's at its best when he is a threat in that department. And I think he's kind of getting a little bit more back there. And so when he when he's good, it opens things up for Ely and for, for Parrish and for Snoop Connor and and all those guys and it makes things easier on the offensive line. Um you know he's he's having a he's having a great year. I, I think it's they're winning games. And I think that's you know that that's kind of the key here. I I don't you know I, I he's He's never really struck me as a guy who really cares if he throws, you know, three picks and they win, or if they throws five touchdowns and they lose, Um, you know, after the game last night, it it was really funny. Um, You know, Lane was like, yeah, I wasn't sure if I wanted to, you know, grill them. And he said he walked in and Matt Corral was already doing that and said, don't you dare go out and have fun tonight. Like we play like crap. And if we do that again, we're going to get blown out by Mississippi state. And so I just think his, the physical skills are amazing, but I think just his presence in, for that team, um, the whole thing goes because of him. Um, so, I mean, if you, like I said, for who's playing right now, Will, I don't there's, there's not many quarterbacks playing better than Will Rogers in anywhere right now, other than, you know, CJ Stroud and Bryce Young, who had insane days, uh, yesterday, but, um, you know when, when when Matt Corral is at his best, he's he's pretty special, and just his ability to kind of make plays when Ole Miss really needs them. If he needs to take off and run, it always seems like he picks up the first down. Um, he he just he just kind of has that it factor. He's he's just sort of that dude, and um, and Will, like Will Rogers is is amazing. I don't know who's going to end up winning the Connerly Trophy. Um, but it, I, I I think Matt Corral is, if you were asking me who I'd rather have in, in the Egg Bowl as my quarterback, it, I think it's pretty hard to pick against Matt Corral just because he's got that, he's got the skill, but he's got the moxie too.
0: I'll tell you what, I do agree that uh, no player in college football means more to his team than Matt Corral means to Ole Miss right now. And what has been interesting uh, about Matt, this was the, the pre-injury Matt. I think people are waiting to see uh, him round into form. And I really think, as, as you mentioned, that he's closer, a lot closer to that than he was. But the running game has been great for Ole Miss. There's a deep running backs room. Uh, Henry Parrish, Jerrion Ely, Snoop Connor, all have had big, impactful games at times. And then there have been times when that running game has vanished. And one of those was the first half against Arkansas. Okay? And there was some time in the Tennessee game, same thing. But Arkansas in particular... You know, that game ended up 52-51. to It was back and forth, back and forth. But in the first half, it seemed like Arkansas was scoring with less effort. Ole Miss was having to work really hard to get those touchdowns in the first half. And that running game wasn't really working then, but Matt Corral was. And he put that offense on his back with the run game and made strong physical runs where he used his vision and he cut – And then he slid at the last minute. He did all those things. So, anyway, I think uh, that's what makes him – that's what helps him stand out above Will Rogers in this conversation is that Rogers is outstanding with his accuracy and and has been with his decisions in the second half of the season. Uh, All of those things. But watching Will Rogers run, I fear for Will Rogers. You know, it's – he leaves the pocket. It's kind of scary. Uh, and, and there's just – there are so many other things that you can do when your quarterback does two things, does, does more uh, than, than make the accurate throw. And certainly Corral has done that and has made the deep throws as well. Folks, that will wrap us up for this edition of Justify Your Existence. We'll have the picks later in the week. Hey, we may even have uh, Michael Katz's recipe for what he calls stuffing and I call dressing. Looks really good on Twitter. Uh, Thanks for being with us, folks. Catch all of our coverage this week. It's going to be a busy week. Catch us at djournal.com. And we're in those Facebook groups as well. Come join us.